And in a few minutes, as we conclude the as we conclude the day, we're going to be taking communion together. And if you did not, if you did not get a communion uh, cup that is fully self-contained, it has the wafer, it has the juice, it has it all going on right there. One-stop shop, I guess you could say. So you can make sure that you have that. Our ushers will be happy to serve you and provide that for you. So glad that you're here this morning. Blessings to you. And just as a reminder, we're, I'm praying. We're having a wonderful time of prayer every morning at 7.14 a.m. And if you're joining us, delight, we're delighted that you are. And there's still opportunities for you to do that. Please join me. It's on my Facebook page, so you have to friend me. So there you go. That's a... I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but you have to friend me. We have to be friends. How about that? So we look forward to that. It's also uploaded to our Crossroads Facebook page almost immediately, so you'll be able to follow us in that regard. You know, I love the title of the series that we're in, uh, Joy Regardless, because I, I think there's no doubt that in our current conditions, our current situation, all of us can certainly use joy in all of the in all of the kind of the the way life is at this moment and God's the one that provides that for us and we're finding that to be true as we study the book of Philippians together so right from the beginning I want you if you have your <coughs> your mobile device or your bible turn with me to, to the book of Philippians we'll be looking there in just a moment when we began the series a few weeks ago I made a statement from a wonderful missionary he made this incredible incredible statement. He said, when I met Christ, when I met Christ, it was as though I had swallowed sunshine. And that's, that's such a wonderful definition of joy. When I met Christ, I felt as if I had swallowed sunshine. Well, another quote that I didn't actually share that week was one from C.S. Lewis. And he referenced joy, and he says this. He says, joy is, the, is a serious, or is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. Now, when you begin to think about that, I could, ab I absolutely and 100% agree. It is the business of heaven. But I will also say this, it might be the serious business of heaven, but it is seriously challenged on earth. Joy just seems to be pulled from us and eroded in so many different ways. And much of that joy is eroded in our life, you ready for this? Because of people. Now, none of, none of you at all, none, none present, none at all, that's not at all at all in, in, in working. But people have a tendency, have a tendency to be a great source of joy, but they also have the potential of joy being eroded over our lives. However, I would say it this way. The right kind of people, the right kind of people can add to our joy. Wouldn't you agree? The right kind of people. When we are, when we're around those folks that are just life-giving, and we all know what they are, who they are. It's just amazing. You can be in a person's presence, and in just a very few minutes, what happens? Your, your life just comes alive because of this individual. I want to be that type of person. Well, you know, normally, or I should say, from time to time, we do some audience participation. We're going to do some audience participation this morning, but in a little different way. I'm going to give you a quiz, a pop quiz. I loved those in high school, don't, didn't you? 
Not at all. Not at all. I, I, it was a delight when the teacher would say, hey, we're going to have a quiz today. Oh, delightful. I'm not ready for this. Well, I think, I think, well, I shouldn't say that you're going to pass it. I don't know. But I'm going to give you the quiz. Here we go. It's going to be in two parts. The first has six questions. Now, you just do them in your head. You don't have to write anything down. But here we go. Are you ready? Question number one. Name the five wealthiest people in the world. Question number two. Name the last five Heisman Trophy winners. Number three. Name the last five winners of the Miss America pageant. Number four. Name ten people who have won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Number five. Name the last six Academy Award winners for Best Actor. And number six. Name the last decade's worth of World Series winners. Now, here's the, here's the crazy question. And you can't really answer because we don't have the time to take, take that test. How many of you would have got 100% on that test? No, most of us wouldn't have. We probably would have done, you know, maybe a couple here and there and a little bit. But here's the reality of it all. These are people that represent the best in our world, the best in our culture, by whatever standards you want to attribute to them. These are the best, the very best, the top of their field. Yet, we forget yesterday's headliners. We, we just do. In fact, there was a great phrase I picked up a bunch of years ago. I just, and it, here it is. Let's give it to you. The currently unpopular are soon to be replaced by those soon to be unpopular. Think about that. Those who are once popular, they become out of step. They become unpopular. And then there's another group of people right behind them who will then soon become unpopular. That's just the nature of life. Now, here's the second part of the quiz. Those are the best. Now, here's the second part. <clears throat> Five questions. Number, and I think you're going to do better. You're going to do better. First question. List a few teachers who helped you in your journey through school. Number two, name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Number three, name five people who taught you something worthwhile. Number four, think of five people you enjoy spending time with. And number five, name some heroes whose stories have inspired you. Now, I'm almost confident, I'm almost 100% confident, <clears throat> well, I am 100%, you did better on that second part than the first part. I would also say, most of us, if we had a few minutes with that, we'd get 100% on that test. And there's a reason. Because people invest in our lives and bring something out of, and those that do, those are the ones that we remember. These are significant individuals in our life, and they contribute, ready, to deepening and sustaining our joy regardless. I think of a, I'm thinking right now of a teacher in high school who so dramatically impacted my life, and I have kind of moved heaven and earth to try and find her to just say thank you, and I've had no success doing so. But the impact that she made in my life was dramatic. And I'm grateful for that, as I think all of us are, when we think about the people in our lives 
that have made such an incredible contribution. The Apostle Paul was very much the same. There were people in his life that had incredible contribution given to him. He had some very close friends, people like Barnabas, people like Priscilla and Aquila, Luke, who traveled with him all across his missionary journeys. Well, this morning we're going to talk about two people that are very much in kind that I believe deepened and sustained the Apostle Paul's joy regardless. And what we can learn from that is, as the title of the message is, is people. People deepen and sustain our joy regardless. We're going to consider for a few moments two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. So we're going to look together at Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. So look with me, if you would. It's on the screens for you, but also take your mobile device or your or your Bible, and follow along with me. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because... As a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and and may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves couldn't give. Father, thank you for your word. Speak life to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about these these two individuals for a few minutes. First of all, Timothy. Timothy. We meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16 in a city called Lystra. Uh, His name, by the way, he was was probably a teenager when we meet him or when Paul met him. He had come to faith. He was already a believer when Paul met him. His name means God honoring. Now that's quite a that's quite a resume just in itself, just to be named Timothy. My name means God-honoring. And just for context, my, that, that my name, here's what my name means, a spear carrier. Now, in the, in the year 2020, there's not a whole lot of significance to that. I don't know what that means overall. I know there are other definitions, but that's the one that just keeps showing up about my name. Well, I digress. I digress. I want to get back to Timothy. He had a great reputation in the church, and he became Paul's traveling companion. We learn more about him in the two letters that Paul wrote to him, 1st and 2nd Timothy. And just real quick, 1st Timothy chapter 1, these aren't in your notes, just, I'm just going to go through them quickly. 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, Paul said this to him, he urged him to stay in Ephesus. He was the pastor in Ephesus. <clears throat> and then in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, Paul writes, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. And you can kind of conclude from that that Timothy may have been a bit timid in his 
kind of in, his, in the way that he would approach people and the things that he would do. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, we would read this, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Paul is most definitely encouraging him not to be insecure, but to embrace the calling that is on his life. So there's a little, maybe a little bit of timidity going on. Well, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, Paul tells him, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now, what do we learn from that? He may have had a frail constitution. But you think about this. Now, if he was timid, if he was frail, that's fine. So I want to leave this phrase with you. Timothy was an ordinary guy with common challenges that God used in supernatural ways. I want that to sink in for a second. Ordinary guy that God used in supernatural ways. Don't ever discount how God has made you. Don't ever diminish the qualities of our lives because God has great plans for us just like we are. Man, I'm grateful for that. There was a book written a number of years ago, I think, I think 2015. A great book, by the way. The book is titled, Talent is Overrated. Talent is Overrated by Jeff Colvin. It is an incredible read. It, honestly, it really is a great read. What he does, he takes 30 years of research, and he, he, he begins to unpack this phrase. How does a person become a world-class performer? And it doesn't matter what discipline, whether it's athletics, music, education, philosophy, it does not matter. Medicine, it does not matter. A world-class performer, here's what he concluded, at least one of the five things that he concludes. One of them is this, that it takes 10,000 hours and 10 years to become a world-class performer. Now let that sink in too. 10,000 hours 10 years. You say, well, okay, what, what all does that mean, Gary? It means this. This is really significant. Great performance is not reserved to preordained few. It's available to everyone. You see, we think that if you're going to be world class, you got to be born that way. Now, there's some there's a little measure of truth there. If you cannot carry a tune in a bucket, no matter what you do, 10,000 hours or not, you're probably still not going to be able to carry a tune in a bucket. I get that. However, there is some natural giftings that are connected. But what he shows us through this incredible research is that with 10,000 hours and 10 years of dedication, all of us can be world class. Now, what does that have to do with our subject? I believe that all of us can be Timothys, and I believe that Timothy was world-class. And I want to unpack that for a minute or two in a few thoughts about Timothy's life. The first is this. He was unique. Timothy was unique. Paul says this of Timothy, I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him. All of us, I know, are unique in our own gifts, the way that God has designed us and made us, and I love that, and we champion that. But Paul calls, calls him out and, and really identifies the fact that he is special, he's exceptional, he's capable. 
And really, you could use any other adjective to help understand who Timothy was and what Paul thought of him. But he was unique. If you have ever watched, <clears throat> if you've ever watched a world-class performer, I don't care who it is. Let me just use one for an example. I'm not going to give a name, and I don't particularly care for this discipline. Okay, so figure skating. All right, it is not one of those things that I really, I don't, I don't, I tolerate figure skating because Marcy loves it. Okay, let me say it that way. So. But you watch world-class figure skaters. They're on this tiny little blade jumping out of the arena and landing on this tiny little blade as, as solid as it can be. That doesn't happen overnight. It happens because of diligence and the uniqueness of their skill, but then the application of their skill. And I'm absolutely confident that every one of us in this room today can be world-class through our uniqueness and through the giftings that God gives to us. These are not mutually exclusive. God gifts us, yes, but you know, it's important for us to, to work out those things within us that will allow us to become all that God has for us out of our uniqueness. I might suggest, I might suggest what we read about Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, what Paul says to him, don't, think, don't let anybody think less of you because you're young, but be an example for all the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to, church, to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Don't neglect your spiritual gift. You received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. What is that all about? What Timothy did was apply what Paul suggested that he should apply. And out of what he had applied, he became world class. His uniqueness is borne out in his, the application of what Paul left with him. The second thing we learn about Timothy is that he was genuine. He was unique, but he's also genuine. Paul says of him in Philippians 2, he says that he showed genuine concern. I pick up on the word genuine. There's something really special about a person who's authentic that you can count on. Can I just say... The authentic people in your life bring joy to you. They sustain and they deepen the joy of our lives. But people who aren't genuine, eh, not so much. Not so much. They pull that away from us. First Timothy chapter 5, uh, 1, excuse me, verse 5 says, The purpose of my instruction, Paul says, is that all the believers would be filled with the love that comes from a what? A pure heart, a clear conscience, and what? A genuine faith. Paul recognized this in Timothy, and he championed it. It's another quality of being world-class. The third is that Timothy was proven. It was proven. Paul says it very clearly. Timothy has proved himself. I, I, I want to tell you something. If somebody says to you, whether they use this language or not, but by whatever language they would use, where you come away from that conversation understanding that the person that you're having a conversation with says, I can trust you. I have confidence in you. Because you have proven yourself. You have a reputation. Man, a good, a good reputation. 
I don't know if you've ever thought much about branded items. Here's what I mean. Many of us will go to the grocery store or any store and we'll buy a particular brand. I'm going to give you one. Heinz ketchup. I am a Heinz 57 ketchup guy. Not the, not the steak sauce. I have whatever about that. But the ketchup, I'm sorry. There is just no substitute for me. It's Heinz. It's Heinz. I'm going to always buy Heinz. Why do we buy branded items? We buy branded items. We will pay a premium for that branded item for the following reason. Because over time, the brand has created a perception of quality, consistency, and trust. And that's exactly what Paul is saying of Timothy. You're a branded item. I can trust you. I can put my confidence in you. I want to tell you something. When I have confidence in somebody, that builds the joy in my life. No matter what may be happening. When I am with someone that has proven themselves, man, I'm stronger. I'm better. We all are. Think of it in your own life. Can you be considered proven by those around you? Whether a family member or a co-worker, a neighbor, are you proven? I believe when you are, you're taking on the qualities of world class. Paul would say to the Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 2, Now in this way, those who are trusted with something valuable must show that they are worthy of that trust. Worthy of that trust. Timothy had been faithful. He was proven. The final quality that Paul references is that he was a partner Timothy was a partner. He has served me, served with me in the work of the gospel. You know, not only was Timothy a, a worker, but there was, he worked alongside the Apostle Paul. And I love the way that Paul references that. That there isn't this, I'm, I'm more important than you are. There's, there is not this hierarchy that's established. It's rather a partnership alongside one another. That is really significant. You know, when I think about this, I'm immediately taken to an experience in my life where I was, Marcy and I had made a transition in ministry, and I'd gone to our new place where we would serve, and I was going to, my role was going to be a, uh, an executive role, executive pastor role, and I knew what that meant, that I had I had certain responsibilities that I would carry out, but I also was accountable to my lead pastor. He was a very respected, a very respected person. And the first day that I was there, we sat down, and this is an individual, and I'm not going to share his name. Uh, I, I would, but I just feel like it's appropriate that I not. This is a person who is incredibly respected within our fellowship of the Assemblies of God. I had been reading his writings for years. I'd been in a graduate class with him as my professor. Uh, he pastored one of the most significant churches in our fellowship, and now I am working for him. And it's that phrase I use intentionally. The first day when I walked in and sat in his office, he handed, he handed me a letter, and I thought, what, what are we doing here? And it was a memo that we wanted to talk through, some bullet points. And here's what he said virtually. This is what the memo said. We are going to pastor this church together. And I sat across the desk, and this is what crossed my mind. Do you know who you are? 
And do you know who I am? That's what I'm thinking. That I, I'm just this guy. This individual has stature, respect. And what did he do? He honored me by saying, we will do this together. That's what Paul has done with Timothy. He brought him alongside. What a statement. Can I tell you what that did for me at that very moment? My confidence level went through the roof. My joy increased. My expectations went off the charts. Why? Because here is someone who said, we're partners in this. I want to tell you, being a partner, there's nothing like having someone alongside you to do sometimes the most difficult of things. And I will tell you, over the, la over the next eight years, there were some difficult things that we walked through together. And I'm grateful for that. I want to be that. And I want to challenge us to be that. Be partners. Be partners. Build the people with you. Walk alongside them. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul says, so I urge you. And that's that, that is a strong word. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ Jesus just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. I want to be like that. Timothy was world class. Can we aspire to that also? So I would leave this little phrase with you. There was no one else like him. No one else like him. The second person is Epaphroditus. And, and this is an interesting young man or gentleman, or man, or whatever his age was. We don't have much information about him. We don't know what his trade was. Most likely he came to faith at the church in Philippi. There are only two references to him in all of Scripture, both found in the book of Philippians. This is, this is where you get the information about him. It's here. This is it. His name, I love this, <laughs> his name means charming, handsome, and agreeable. Now there's a resume. The guy showing he's charming, he's agreeable, he's handsome. Man, that is something else. Now, it just says that there are some great and striking qualities about this man that Paul recognized. And it's something that is very, very unique and wonderful. Now, I want to make a hard shift. I miss baseball. I miss baseball. America's pastime, the grand old game. I miss it. it. And maybe we'll have a 2020 season. I don't know. Maybe they'll get together for seven games and call it a, call it a year. I don't know. Regardless, I have the, if that was just seven games, I think those seven games would be the most highly watched of any baseball game ever in history just because of people missing baseball. We miss baseball. It's America's pastime. We don't have the chance to go. I'm doing the best I can. I'm wearing my Padres gear whenever I can. That's about all I can do at this point. So, in baseball, there is a phrase, and you may be familiar with it, where a, person, where a player is identified as a five-tool player. A five-tool player is that exceptional player. And they have five tools. Those five tools are great speed, they hit for average, they hit with power, they have fielding ability, and they have great arm strength. Five tools. Five tools. 
And, and these are exceptional individuals. One that I can immediately think of, and he, he's probably his career starting to erode a little, but he's still an extraordinary player, is Mike Trout for the, for the Angels, the Los Angeles Angels. He just, he's awesome. He's a five-tool player. What's remarkable about what I see that Paul identifies in Epaphroditus is this. He's not a five-tool player. He's a six-tool player. He goes farther and above. And Paul calls it out. He calls out these qualities. The first quality he mentions is that he's a brother. You say, now, well, what's the big deal about that? We're all, those of us who are followers of Christ, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all related. I get it. I get that. But he is specifically called out as a brother. To me, that's significant. Don't minimize that. It is a special relationship that Paul attributes to Epaphroditus. Very, very important. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners in, to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's, God's household with every other Christian. You say, well, what does that mean for me? I'm going to tell you what it means. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you also can be a six-tool player because you belong to Jesus. You are so valuable to him that he gave his life for you. Now, come on, that's a good opportunity for an amen, even behind masks. That's a good opportunity. He called him out as a brother. The second thing he says of him is he's a co-worker. Now, this is very similar to what he said of Timothy in the partnership, a co-worker. This quality indicates that Epaphroditus did this, that he labored beside Paul in the cause of the gospel. Now, sometimes that is, that's really fun stuff. <laughs> but I can also tell you there's also some stuff that's not very fun. But he did it as a co-worker. Now, think about your co-workers at this particular moment. You work alongside them. Through the thick, the thin, the challenges, and the joys. But there's something about that partnership, as he's, we've already seen with Timothy, he has the same relationship as a co-worker with Epaphroditus. Third quality is that he's a soldier. Now that, to me, is interesting, that he's a soldier. I, I did not have the honor and the privilege of serving in the military. I've often regretted that over the years for what my, both my brother and my father did. It just wasn't my path. But I so highly honor and respect those who serve. But I think about this, and, and the only words that really come to mind is that Paul says this of Epaphroditus in this regard, is that he suffered the rigors of service to the gospel. I can only imagine the stress, the challenge, all of the things that go along with being a soldier. But what I love about what Paul says, he was a fellow soldier. There were, there were certain things that required just an amp up. You got to do things even more as a soldier, as a fellow soldier for the gospel's sake. The fourth quality is that he was a messenger. Significantly about this word, it's not just a person who takes a message somewhere. The word that Paul uses in the Greek is the word apostle. 
Think about that. Now, not to the full extent that Paul would be considered an apostle, but Epaphroditus here is considered very special, set apart, the one who is sent. This is more than just a messenger person, more than just a carrying a letter or carrying a gift in this particular case, but rather this is a spiritual service being given on behalf of the church. He is a messenger. Very significant. It's a huge compliment to, to be called an apostle. I can't even imagine what that must have done for Epaphroditus when he heard that he was called a messenger. And then the fifth, he was compassionate. Compassionate. Verse 26 is what we read. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Now think about that. He was distressed for the church because they learned that he had been sick. That's compassion. He was more concerned about the others than for himself. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, we read, Be kind and compassionate to one another. I don't know. Ever met someone who's compassionate on your behalf? Who's compassionate for you? I will tell you exactly how you respond because I've been there. You know how you respond? With a deep sense of joy and satisfaction and respect and honor. Your joy and my joy, no matter what may be happening in our life, our joy regardless is sustained and deepened because of compassionate people in our life. Paul experienced that. And then the sixth is that he was courageous. He was courageous. We talked about courage a few weeks ago. But what we learn of him is that he risked his life. His illness was serious, but he risked his life. Paul was so important to him that he was willing to put it all on the line for him. So significant. Epaphroditus was a six-tool player. And so I would just say it this way, this phrase, we are to honor men like that. We're to honor men like that. Both of these individuals are incredible examples. They're world-class they're six-tool players. Can we aspire to be like them? Can we do that? I want people like this in my life because my joy is sustained. It's deepened when they're in my life. But I want to be that person too. I don't want to just experience on the outside. I want to be that person. How do we do that? If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, as Paul is concluding his letter to the Corinthians, his first letter, this is what we read. I'm reading from the message paraphrase. Would you do me a favor, friends, and give special recognition to the family of Stephanus? You know they were among the first converts in Greece, and they put themselves out serving Christians ever since then. I want you to honor them. Honor and look up to people like that. Companions and workers who show us how to do it. Giving us something to aspire to. That's what we're to do with individuals like this. So how do we do it? Two things. Number one, imitate Christ. That's the first thing. Imitate Christ. We've already been through that through chapter two. That's what this is all about. Chapter two, verse five of Philippians have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Imitate Christ. That's how we do it. And the second thing is that we need to work out 
what God has worked in. We've already talked about that last week. We have to work out what God has worked in. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. How do we become world-class? How do we become a six-tool player? We imitate Christ and we work out what God has worked in our lives. One final thought, if we aspire, if we are to aspire to be like these people, we have to be, we have, we have to have a path. There should be a path to be like them. And why are these kinds of people important and how do they relate to the topic? I would just give you this phrase. It's not in your notes, but just listen. Connecting with the right people being the person with whom God is pleased will deepen and sustain our joy regardless. I want people like that in my life, and I want to be that person as well. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning, and I pray in these next few moments you'll just speak life to us as we take communion together, as we celebrate the table of the Lord. We're so grateful for your sacrifice for us. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So bring our time to a close. I just want to ask you a real quick question. First, the most important question I could ever ask is, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? As I said last week, I know that at a time like this, this is mostly those who consider Crossroads Church their home and are most likely Christ followers. But I never want to miss that opportunity. So in a moment, we're going to pray over the table of the Lord, over communion. You'll have an opportunity to ask Jesus into your life. But I am going to ask this. This is where audience participation gets real. I wonder if you would raise your hand with me and say, I want to be, a wor I want to be world class and I want to be a six-tool player that's going to deepen and sustain my joy and put joy in others. Yeah, I think all of us do. All of us do. And here are two great examples of how to do it. Look back at their life. Now this morning we are doing communion differently as you've noticed. We have a fully self-contained communion article, implement. You have two little pieces of this. You take off the top piece, and that exposes the wafer. Okay, has everybody got that? All right, so let's do that. Let's take out the wafer. All right, got that? All right, and then what, we're going to be real careful when we open up the juice. We don't want any juice stains this morning trying to get this open, okay? So we're going to take a moment with that. So if you'd hold this in your hand. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. So I'm just going to ask you to snap it in half. He said, take this and eat it, for this is my body which is broken for you. Brokenness. There is a lot of brokenness in our world. We're seeing it kind of unfold on a daily basis, aren't we? But Jesus came that we would be whole. And he did that for us, all of us. So, Father, thank you for the bread this morning. We're so grateful. And right now, Lord, we know that we're to examine ourselves so that we take this bread and we drink this cup in a way that honors you, that is worthy. So we ask that you would forgive us, purify us from all unrighteousness so that we stand, in, we stand righteous before you, not because of what we've done, but because of who you are and what you have done. We receive that today. And Lord, today we take this bread with gratitude that you were broken for us, that we could be whole. 
We give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us take the bread together. Now, carefully open the next part. There we go. <laughs> there we go. I got mine. All right. Very good. After supper, he took the cup. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and drink it, for this is my blood. This is of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, but Jesus provided for us complete, once for all, forgiveness when his blood was shed on Calvary. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, for the cup. We take this this morning with gratitude for your sacrifice for our lives our sin, forgiven once and for all. We give you all the thanks. We take this this morning with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us take the cup together.